This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's Thursday, which means it's time for a new Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam is with me. The two of us will be going back and forth here in some Red Sox thoughts with the trade deadline rapidly approaching, uh, less than two weeks until the deadline. Very uh, active time for the Red Sox. They have not made any moves yet, but uh, we know that they're talking about them. We're going to give you our thoughts today, and then we're going to go you know, straight to the uh, horse's mouth, so to speak. Next week, Heim Bloom will be joining the show uh, with about a week to go before the deadline. So, um I don't. I don't know. I don't think he's gonna probably break a trade on here, but I guess we can't can't rule it out um, at this point. Red Sox are off today after a uh, three and three road trip to Wrigley Field in Oakland. Come home tomorrow, play the Mets for three, the Braves for two. Sean, let's start there. I tweeted yesterday that uh, going three and three in that road trip, losing the last two to Oakland, especially yesterday on a, on a day that Brian Bayo pitched, feels like a uh, huge failure for the team. Um, we've talked time and time again about how these games uh, mean more just because of the timing and just because of what's at stake with the deadline. We've written that over and over. And you know, this is a team that came into the break with a lot of momentum. They seem to carry that over two out of three. Um, and some good wins in Chicago over the weekend and, and winning Monday night uh, and a pretty dominant performance by Nick Pavetta. And, and it feels like, you know, as it's happened with this team over and over and over this year, that momentum's out the window. And now, um, you know, even though it's a bad, struggling Mets team coming in, it just feels like they are not firing on all cylinders like they were, let's say, you know, a week ago. Yeah, classic case of two steps forward and one step back over the last series, Chris, when they took two out of three in Wrigley and then won the opener Monday in Oakland, as you noted. They are at a point where they were three and one through the first four games, and you figure, well, even if it's hard to sweep a really bad team like Oakland and the fact that they did it at home on the previous series before the all-star break was a good sign that they were kind of stepping on the throat of a bad team, not letting them up and getting the three wins that they should. I don't think anybody expected them to run the table, go six and zero against the A's as bad as they are. And so even if you had Tuesday as kind of the outlier, sort of one of those, well, Oakland was due to beat them at least once. You expect that with Bayo going Wednesday, you win that one, win the series, and come home at four and two. That would have been perfectly acceptable. But to lose two in a row and drop to three and three on the trip uh, is is not a good reflection for what the Red Sox are trying to do here. Um, you know, they have to be better than that. They have to beat up bad teams. Oddly. For most of this season, it's been kind of a reverse of what we saw from a year ago where they couldn't beat good teams in their own division and would fatten up against lesser teams, both in the American League Central and West and in the National League. This year, it's kind of been a flip. They've uh, played poorly against bad teams like St. Louis and Colorado at home. Uh, and this recent series with Oakland is one more indication. Meanwhile, they're 12-1 and against the Yankees in Toronto, two teams that really took it to them in, in recent seasons. So they're a hard bunch to figure out, which I suspect is making it difficult 
for the powers that be to determine how to approach this trade deadline that's coming up. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing that sticks out to me is that after that three and three road trip, after losing two to Oakland, a, a horrible team on to finish it out. This is the kind of thing that happens to the Red Sox where they'll come home now and they'll like go one and four against the Mets and Braves. Like they'll get swept by the Mets somehow, even though they're not very good. Senga and Paxton, a pretty good pitching matchup Friday, tomorrow night, weather permitting. They'll find a way to lose, you know, two of three, and then they get swept by the Braves or something like that. Or I guess to, to or, go Or they more... could get swept by the Mets and then sweep the Braves, which right, would be right. more in keeping with what right, they've done this year, playing up to the competition or, as we just saw, down to it. It's just, you know, that just feels like what the team does. I think they can prove me wrong and prove kind of the, the trend wrong here by coming out and having a good series against the Mets, which, again, an underperforming team, a very disappointing team in the big picture, but one with a lot of talent still. Um, it's just, it feels like one of those um, stretches where, okay, they had a prolonged good one, and now if they keep to the pattern they've had all season, it's time for a prolonged bad one. Yeah, they're they're unpredictable in every way, and that's not good at this time of year, as I just said, because you're trying to uh, assess where they are now coming up with the deadline less than two weeks away, uh, what can be expected over the final two months. If you're Heimblum and, and all the others in baseball ops, you're trying to answer the question, who are we and what are we going to be over the final two months of the season? And not being able to get any sort of definitive answer about that based on their play much of the season and even more recently makes it real hard to determine which path to go. I think you and I both think, and we'll get to this in a minute, that they're going to try to make some modest upgrades coming up here at the end of the month. Uh, nothing dramatic, no huge superstar names, um, but try to address some pitching needs uh, but even that, I think, could fall victim to the possibility that they could be entering one of these downturns that gets them back to 500 with two months to go. And then I think you have to ask the question, is it really worth it, even incremental upgrades, given how unpredictable and unreliable the performance of the team has been? Definitely. We'll get to that. We both wrote columns in the last couple of days outlining some potential paths for the Red Sox at the deadline. We'll get into those and, and kind of the possibilities in a minute. I do want to talk about a more immediate roster situation that's taking place. Uh, we've written about this. I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. Chris Smith in Chicago talked to Alex Cora about it. The middle infield roster crunch is a real thing that's going to be happening in the next few days. Um, talk about, you know, kicking things down the road. Pablo Reyes has been, I think, ready to play for about two weeks, and he is still on a rehab assignment. It's crazy to think uh, when he was acquired in a minor trade in May, I don't think we would have thought that we'd be watching his rehab assignment here so closely in July, but that's the case, and that's where the Red Sox are. Just for people who don't know exactly what the situation is, barring an injury, the Red Sox have, uh, they're going to have three roster spots as of early next week. For Kike Hernandez, Christian Arroyo, Yu Chang, and Pablo Reyes, they're not going to carry 12 pitchers, so one of those guys is going to go. None of them have minor league options remaining. They, I mean, pretty much either have to trade or DFA one of those four guys. Um, obviously, you know, Kike and Arroyo have been co contributors here for a few years. Uh, both are having bad years in the case of Kike, an all-time bad year. Um, Pablo Reyes is a guy who kind of was a spark plug 
over the last uh, couple months before getting hurt. Yu Chang can't hit, but we know that he provides elite defense, and right now he is a starting shortstop. Obviously, these guys are going to uh, – this situation is going to undergo even more uh, change in a couple weeks when Trevor Story comes back, so there could be you know another one getting cut. Where do you see this going right now? I know that you know you've been kind of pounding the drum in, in casual conversation that Pablo Reyes might just get DFA'd at the end of his rehab assignment. He has to; they have to make a decision by the end of Monday, I think, the off day. Do you still feel that way, or do you feel like a bigger move might be coming? Well, uh, look, we, we've seen that anything could happen over the next few days, and particularly for a guy who is as injury prone as Christian Arroyo is. Who knows what the the series with the Mets is going to bring. Mm -hmm. There may even be some phantom injury that allows them to further kick the can down the road here with a muscle tweak or a strain or something minor like that that buys them another two weeks or so, uh, which will probably get pretty close to the return of Trevor's story, which further complicates things, but we get ahead of ourselves there. Um, I, I know that there is the possibility that Kike Hernandez is the guy they cut loose He's been a huge disappointment. We know about the error total. We know about him having a just terrible offensive year with an OPS under 700. But I just don't see them cutting ties with him. I, I think the relationship with the manager, Alex Cora, means at least something. And so, too, does his stature as a veteran guy who has played in the big leagues a long time, who can get hot in short spurts. We saw that in 21 over the final two months, and then it carried into the postseason. I have a hard time believing that when push comes to shove, they're going to take a guy that, as you noted, they acquired in a minor league deal with the worst team in baseball, Pablo Reyes, earlier in the season, and retain him over a guy who has the kind of uh, longstanding service time and career that Kike Hernandez, understanding that he has not been that player this year. And frankly, there isn't a lot to see, or there isn't much that we see now that suggests that some sort of comeback or turnaround is coming. But I still think they put their money on that happening rather than what a career journeyman like Pablo Reyes might be able to deliver. Yeah, I, I understand that. I just think, um, you know, it's interesting to me that in May when, or, or in June when, um, the two of them were basically the two most healthy options at shortstop. They went with Reyes over Hernandez. He was a starter. Yeah, that, I mean, that's worth considering. But so, too, is the fact that Alex Cora has said that he believes Hernandez has uh, has addressed and corrected some of the issues that led to a lot of those throwing errors. And they almost were all throwing errors of the 14 or 15 that he committed. Mm -hmm. um, he, he has felt confident enough even though he hasn't had a lot of their other other options to play Hernandez at short in recent weeks when he's trying to get uh, Chang a little bit of a breather as he comes off a long period of inactivity um, I, I I do think defensively that uh, Hernandez is more trustworthy now than he was in April and May uh, that's not to say that he's going to be the starting shortstop because it's pretty clear as you noted that Chang is that guy before he hands the baton to Story coming up in a couple of weeks. I just think some of the really alarming uh, red flags associated with Hernandez from earlier in the year are, are pretty much gone. A bigger concern, really, is the fact that he's given them so little offensively. Um, you know, the, there, there isn't that path that you see where, okay, we're going to get 
substandard defense, but at least he's contributing with the bat. He's not doing that either. But again, I think they fall back on performance and history. And uh, I, I just don't see them at the end of the day making the choice to protect Reyes over Hernandez. Yeah, I, I see that. And I also think that, you know, if you're going to keep a guy on the roster for what effectively starts becoming the 26th spot, you know, he's not a guy that's going to get and any of these guys are going to get, you know, a lot of at bats, really, um, especially when they figure out how things will shake out with Story in, in well, a couple they, of weeks. They're going to have to address second base when Story comes back. It's not as right. if there's anybody entrenched there. So Hernandez could get some playing time there. Uh you know, you would worry less about the throwing issue from the right side of second base rather than the shortstop spot. So maybe that uh, eliminates whatever concern they have about him. So, you, you know, I mean, there's a lot of candidates to play at second. Uh, those are all people that are about to be misplaced or, or moved over by Story's return. Yeah, but with Kike, you know, he's a guy that obviously has versatility. That's kind of been the calling card throughout his career and his time here. If they need an outfielder on a night, you know, if they need him to fill in in different spots, he's capable of doing it. Christian Arroyo hasn't really proven that over his time. They've tried different things. It hasn't really worked out, whether it be getting hurt at first base or um, not really working out in right field. They're hesitant to put him at short. And to me, with Christian Arroyo, you know, I think a good guy, a good clubhouse guy, and a guy who's had some pretty good moments when he's been on the field the last few years, this whole Justin Turner playing second base, even if it's once a week or twice a week, doesn't bode particularly well for Arroyo, I think, because, you know, that's just cutting into kind of the one place that he can give you um, some playing time. And I think that that makes it so, you know, maybe Reyes is a little bit more versatile. Obviously, Chang is a better defender. I think it's a tough decision, and we'll see. You know, you can obviously bet pretty strongly that Heim Bloom is talking to teams about you know, a trade involving this group and trying to unload maybe one or two of those guys in the next couple of weeks. And I think the 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 goal, as you kind of reference, is to have Story play short full-time, basically from whenever he comes back in August on, and then second base figuring it out, whether it's an, an external upgrade or, you know, platooning some of those righties, Kike Hernandez, Christian Arroyo, um, with a left-handed hitter, Emmanuel Valdez, seems to be, um, a guy who would come back up, though he's hurt right now in Worcester. So lots to shake out on that mix as it has been all year, but at least there's stability coming. And you can file this one, I think, under a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, they they do have um, some talent there. None of it is of all-star caliber when you're talking about the remnants of the middle infield depth. But at least it does give them uh, numerous options. And there are guys that are better offensively. There are guys that are better defensively. Uh, I do find it interesting as we kind of get ready to segue into buy versus sell that we've heard virtually nothing about them trying to upgrade at second. Uh, you know, it would seem that there would be an Ian Kinsler type out there, a veteran guy. Um, you mentioned, I think, when we were talking the other day about Jonathan Scope, who's not having a great year, but he kind of fits yep. that profile. Odor a... got DFA'd yesterday. Yep. Um, so those are the kind of upgrades and I use the word advisedly that are out there, but uh, maybe they just think that, um, you know, the, the number of different options they have here, they could piece together and find some sort of platoon down the stretch. Uh, uh, or maybe this is all about, we're not going to give up a whole lot and whatever we do give up, we're going to focus on upgrading pitching, which was certainly a bigger need. Yeah, it seems like positionally, and it's a perfect segue, as you mentioned, pitching-wise is really the 
the goal, what they're trying to add, if they're trying to add at the deadline. Position player-wise, the outfielder's already too crowded of a mix. The middle infield's getting crowded, so it just doesn't seem like much on that end. So you wrote, as we wrote, kind of dueling columns that uh, I think they were in some ways a little bit more overlapping than dueling because we both kind of look at this and don't think that it's going to be major, major uh, seismic moves in the next couple of weeks. Um, your case was for the Red Sox to buy. Of course, they turned around to make you look horrible and lost two games against the A's to uh, just say, no, Sean, we're, we appreciate you sticking your neck out for us, but can't happen. We don't deserve it. I wrote the uh, the other one, which was they should sell. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit more, but the the path that I said to take was to kind of do a calculated sale. If you get a piece that can help you right now and not ruin your chance of contention, you know, go for it. Um, not a full fire sale, but but sell the pieces kind of on the outskirts of the roster. I know it's been 48 hours and two horrible losses later, but if you want to make your case in podcast form now for those who have not seen the call. Yeah, I advocated, as you did on the other side of the fence, for a cautious buy. You were talking about a conservative sell-off. I'm not talking about anything that's going to remake the roster or uh, have any kind of huge long-term implications. But I think they definitely need a back-end starter. It's amazing to me that they've gotten as far as they have over the last couple of weeks when 40% of their games are openers and bullpen games. So... A, a guy like Rich Hill or Zach Greinke, uh, a veteran guy that can, you hope, give you five innings, give up three runs, and give you a chance every five days. I think they have to do that at the very least. Um, and then I would say that they could, uh, as we've heard, uh, be in the market for a seventh inning setup guy, which to me is a little interesting that they're looking in that avenue because John Schreiber is close to coming back. He could be back and active by Tuesday when the Braves are here. Maybe they have some concerns about how he's going to hold up physically after being out for two months. Maybe they just want a little more depth out there. But I think it's in the Constitution that every contending team has to add at least one bullpen piece for the final two months. And I would not be surprised if the Red Sox follow that game plan. Yeah, it seems like the places that they're targeting, as we said, you know, that doesn't make much sense, I think, for them to go after positional upgrades with the guys they already have. My argument, my take was sell, but don't sell to a point that could kind of hamstring you down the stretch or next year. Um, and so uh, the first thing I do is take certain guys off the table. They are your most valuable trade chips. Alex Verdugo, Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, three guys who are controlled through next year. Feel like you know trading Verdugo has been your best player all year. Doesn't make a lot of sense, even though you do have a crowded outfield. And then Jansen and Martin are going to be under contract next year. Both have been dominant. The other guy I'd take off the table to start is James Paxton. I think you know he's been really good, and he'd probably get you a lot as a rental. If I'm the Red Sox, I look to extend him, give you a veteran lefty presence in a rotation where you expect to have a lot of young righties and Hauk, Whitlock, and Bayo, assuming everybody's healthy. Um, you know, Paxton's going to have value as a rental. I'm sure it's tempting to, for Bloom to deal him and try to get a prospect. But at this point, uh, it just would send, you know, I saw, and we all saw last year, the putting up, you know, even in a kind of half buy, half sell type of thing with Christian Vasquez felt like a white flag. I don't think they should do that again. I don't think that team, this team deserves that. And I think it's a better team than last year. Different, obviously, with the young core. Um I think moving Paxton is that white flag. The guys that I would move are on the outskirts of the roster. 
Kike Hernandez, if he has any value, I think is a guy that makes sense to move. Maybe a contender likes the versatility there. Adam Duvall, who we've been talking about for a month as a trade candidate. He's a guy that's a little redundant on the roster. You have Rob Refsnyder as your lefty masher in the outfield. You want Duran and Yoshida and Verdugo to play as much as possible uh, pretty much every day if they can. So I think that that is it's a guy in Duvall who they could potentially move, maybe flip for a pitcher, maybe try to get prospects back as a rental. The other guy that I, I talked about in that piece that I think that they should try to move is Nick Pavetta, just because he's got a year and a half of control left. He is a guy that is ex- the only consistent thing about him is his inconsistency and his reluctance to talk to the media, actually. Um, but I think that over the course of the last couple months, we've seen the best version of Nick Pavetta, and maybe they should try to sell high on him. You know, a team can look at this bulk in the last few weeks okay he's built up to give five or six innings we have a spot in the rotation for him right now we found something in his pitch mix i think high might be a little concerned about now oh, we finally unlocked something in the guy and now we're letting him go but we know there's a regression coming at some point um if they could find a team to take him i think you could probably get something back that's you know pretty valuable and he's a spare part i mean when sale and Houck and whitlock and those guys are back you know pavetta's back to seventh on the depth chart and i know that pitching depth has been t- tested the last few weeks but he's a guy that i feel like doesn't really ruin your chances of contending this year and, and a guy that you could probably get something in return for. Yeah. And, and I think another factor to consider when you're talking about uh, weighing the variables of moving Pavetta now is the fact that he's making five, five this year. He's going to be mm-hmm. arbitration eligible again next year. He's probably going to get up to eight, $9 million next year. And as a either back end starter or bulk reliever, that seems pretty pricey. So um, I, I, I don't disagree. I think they could probably cover those bullpen innings, particularly as they get guys like Hauk and Whitlock back in a couple of weeks. I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, if they used um, Pavetta to go address some of those needs. And remember, uh, as we've talked about and uh, as uh, has been a theme really for most of the season, we expect the, this trade deadline to look a little different where it might not necessarily involve the Red Sox giving up prospects for help. It could be a old-fashioned baseball trade in which they deal from some surplus like Duval, like Pavetta, and go out and use those guys uh, to address their other needs, which include the rotation and the bullpen. To close out, one guy they're not going to get, as people have written and talked about this week, is Shohei Otani, the Angels' two-way superstar who is – uh, kind of the topic of the subject of trade rumors right now and a guy that could be moved as a rental. Um, it's the longer discussion for another day of if there will, if the Red Sox will pursue him over the winter as a free agent, I think we can confidently rule out uh, an aggressive try at him right now, but just for the fun of it, um, we are going to kind of debate what it would take for the Red Sox to get Shohei Otani in a trade. Remember, this is uh, a market that, it's almost impossible to gauge exactly what it'll take because it's a player unlike any we've ever seen available on the trade market. Two months, but you're getting you know an all-star pitcher and an all-star hitter. Um, going to help any team. There's going to be a very you know because of that he fits literally every team. Um, and I think that uh, you know money is not really a concern down the stretch. Obviously, so this is kind of one of the more unique trade markets you'll ever see. I'll start it here, Sean, because I think that the price, even for two months, is going to be astronomical. I think it starts, if you're the Red Sox, and this sounds crazy, but to me, I think it's real, with Bayo and Meyer, and you probably have to throw in somebody like Rafaela, too. 
I mean, a blue chip pitcher, a blue chip uh, position player, um, and kind of a, a third intriguing piece probably is, is what it's going to take to get it done in my mind. Yeah, there has never been a more valuable guy available as a rental if indeed the Angels decide to sell him. If they do, then there's no package you could put together where you could objectively step back and say, oh, well, that's too much. Because you're talking about getting, uh, you know, one of the two or three best hitters in the game, um, a guy who's on pace for well over 50 homers. And you're also talking about a guy who is one of the top 10 starters in, in the game. So the sky is the limit. And it would, uh, you know, the, the great people at SoxProspects.com go to their page look at the top 10 and pick out four guys there and maybe, you know, three. And as you mentioned, Bayo has to be included. It, it makes no sense for the Red Sox. Of course, we've made that, uh, that admission as we get into this, I think for a team like Tampa Bay, who obviously would have no interest in, uh, and, uh, and no capability of retaining Otani after all this and signing him to an extension. I mean, to me, Otani is the finishing piece if your team is one of the three or four best clubs in the game, if, if Atlanta wanted to upgrade, if the Dodgers wanted to upgrade, that's not going to happen. Of course, the angels would never trade with the Dodgers, uh, but the Dodgers giants, uh, uh, Atlanta, uh, you know, maybe Texas, Tampa, those are the teams that could go all in here because Otani could clearly be a difference maker as great as he is. Otani, for all you'd give up for him for two months is not going to make the difference between the Red Sox making a deep October run or perhaps not making it at all. So it doesn't make any sense. And the, the asking price only reinforces that. Do you think it takes as much as I think it does? Yes, I do. I, I mean, the, 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 the angels are in a position where anything they ask for cannot be, uh, scoffed at by the other team because as i said there's never been a talent like this available for trade I, I think where the angels went wrong is that they should have done this a year ago and offer a season plus and two postseasons to a team um now that you're only getting two months the value is less but he, his value is still unprecedented in recent baseball history yeah again meyer bayo Raffaella, maybe more i mean you're maybe looking more. at it's just uh, obviously not going to happen. And, and I think Chad Jennings and the athletic not to pump up a competitor, but Hey, we're nice people here. I had a pretty good piece about that, how, you know, it makes it trade that makes sense for everybody, but it's just not the Red Sox time and kind of goes against what they're trying to do. Um, as we talked about and wrote about this week with Heim Bloom talking about the development of the young core is the headline of this season. I don't think he's going to do anything to chip away at that. Or in this case, basically take away every single piece of that for one move. Of That's course, Sean. we can ask Heim Bloom all about that next Tuesday when he is a guest on Fenway Rundown. Um, make sure to check us out then. It'll be exactly a week to go before the trade deadline. So we had sort of strategically planned to have Heim Bloom on as close to the trade deadline as possible so that it is uh, timely and relevant. Um that's about as close as we can get without having him on Thursday, which is a weird travel day for everybody as the Red Sox go back out to the West Coast. But a reminder that Heim Bloom will be a guest on next Tuesday's episode. And if he's not, then he's probably making a trade and we'll have potentially advanced notice of that based on that. 
This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.